Hello and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. I am your host Rachel Bell and my guest joining me on today's show is Kate. My hope is that together we will have an honest and real conversation about mental health and wellness and your life experiences. Please know that this is a safe space to share, listen, learn and evolve in our lives and break down the barriers in our minds together. While I am not a health professional, I am a good listener and someone with real lived experience in this area. If you need someone professional to speak to, please see the show notes for more information. Please note this episode may contain content that could upset certain listeners. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me at bekindtoyourmindpodcast at gmail.com or you can check out the Instagram page over on Instagram at bekindtoyourmindpodcast. Okay, and like I said, today's story is Kate's story. We're going to be chatting about something a little bit different today to our usual mental health conversations because Kate is going to have a chat to us about her struggles with alcohol and her, I guess, journey through to sobriety. Kate also uh, is celebrating a a really big milestone that we have a chat about and we also talk about something that she has been working on during COVID with her kids. Uh, You might hear us talk about some photos uh, on Instagram and you can go over to the Be Kind to My podcast Instagram page to check out those photos while you're listening. Kate lives in uh, a rural area of New South Wales. Our connection on today's podcast was not so great. There was a little bit of a lag, so I do apologize for the sound quality. Okay, without further ado, this is what it sounded like. Hello, Kate, and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. How are you? Hello, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Um, A little bit of info for our listeners, um, which is a bit special having a chat with you today, Kate, because Kate and I actually went to school together. Uh, We started in kindergarten, right? And went all Mm -hmm. the way through. I left school in year 10, but yeah, so we had um, pretty much our whole school life together, but we haven't seen each other live and had a chat like this in in well over 20 years so it's it's not only you know a pleasure to have you on the podcast and have a chat to you but super cool to be able to catch up with you after so long and notice how little you've changed (laughs) (laughs) but today you you, um you actually want to come and have a little talk to us about sobriety it's a topic that is close to your heart and it does tie in uh, with mental health for a lot of people Um, and yeah you basically just wanted to have a chat to us about that from uh, a mum's point of view and more and a women's point of view I guess more specifically. Yeah oh look I guess um, if I'll I'll go right back to the beginning and um, you know sort of going through my um, you know late teens and early 20s um, as is for a lot of people, alcohol was a really um, important um, um, component of social life. So, you know, most of the social gatherings or social activities that we did, um, I guess, um, sort of revolved around alcohol. So it was, you know, the pub or, you know, wine tours or, you know, you'd go on holidays to the Hunter Valley and, you know, have wine tastings. And and back then it was... (laughs) It was it was it was really fun, you know. Um, you know, I, I got into the party scene a bit, and um, you know, if my parents or my daughter are listening to this, 
just block your ears for a second, you know, you know, got involved in, in some of the uh, the party drugs. But, you know, I think, you know, alcohol was always the, the one that really, um, you know, did it for me and, and, and you know, really enjoyed it. And, um, and I guess just going on through the years, it, it just became, I guess, more and more of a crutch. Um, you know, not not just to use during those good times, but um, you know, to help unwind. You know, um, twenty years in nursing, I had a pretty um, pretty big baptism of fire to to nursing in a in a city hospital. You know, looking after you know some really really super unwell patients and uh, having some pretty gut wrenching experiences there. And 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 really started using it as a bit of a coping mechanism. Um, you know, doing shift work, sleep can always be a bit of an issue. So using it as a bit of a tool to help, um, well, (laughs) to help sleep. Um, I had quite a lot of, um, anxiety as well. And, and alcohol in the short term works as a really great, um, anxiolytic agent or, you know, something to help with anxiety. It helps to bring you down a couple of notches. But then I found, um, you know, I was getting into this really vicious cycle of, you know, having a bit to drink of an evening and then needing multiple coffees in the morning to help um, help me function. And then that would then tip me into this really highly anxious state that just became this sort of really fine balancing act, um, so you ended which up, worked for a while. You ended up really playing with your emotions then, didn't you? You were going from oh, high to absolutely. low. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess, you know, pre-kids, it was, you know, it was manageable because, you know, when, when you had your time off work, you could, you could sleep, you could rest um, and, and um, replenish a little bit. But once you throw a couple of, um, you know, small, active, noisy, demanding, you know, but gorgeous kids into the mix, it becomes... Um, yeah, not sustainable to say the least. And, um, and I guess, um, yeah, it, it just got to the point where I was, I was, my mental health was really, really suffering. Um, I think for me, you know, there were a couple of, uh, uh, light bulb moments. I didn't sort of have a, um, a rock bottom as such, but I had a couple of moments where I just went, yeah, no, this isn't good. Um, and I think one of them where um, my anxiety was so bad, I was actually start, starting to get some quite severe compulsive um, behaviours. And one of them would be when I got to an intersection in my car, I'd look right, then I'd look left, and I couldn't quite be sure that I'd looked right properly, so I'd look right again, and then I couldn't quite be sure that I'd look left properly, so I'd get stuck at these intersections looking left and right and left and right and left and right. And a couple of times I actually had to get out of the car and walk away because I just was so um, paralysed. And, you know, and and that, you know, that was a bit of a moment where maybe maybe this isn't, you know, great. Um, And uh, and I guess another sort of, um, uh, you know, moment for me was uh, driving the kids to school one day and there was an RBT and there was just a, in the back of my mind, I just thought, oh, I'm not sure that I would actually be under the limit. And for me, that was like a hard, a hard no. That was a, you know, this, this, um, yeah, this has to stop. That's a couple of hard, like, realisations to have, aren't they? I think the first one sounds a little bit like paranoia that you were having, being unsure of, like, Mm. yourself, being able to check in and see, like, 
where your head was really at, you weren't concentrating. That that would be a hard thing to to come up against for mm. sure. And then, you know, with your kids, like that's a huge, huge realization mm. as well. It must have been really difficult for you to make that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, and like I was saying, um, you know, so for me there wasn't, you know, you hear of people having this rock bottom where they, you know, they drive really drunk and crash their car or they lose their job or they, you know, something catastrophic happens, but. I guess to me, all this was happening around about this time, and I, I read this um, this quote by this this uh, woman in sobriety who I'd who I'd been um, following her work quite a bit. And can I I'll, can I just read the quote out to you? Because for yeah. me, it was just it was a, just a, this full light bulb moment where. So this is a lady by the name of Laura McCowan. She's a um, over in the states. She's a, a, a really um, you know fantastic sobriety sobriety um, advocate. Um, so she said that the normal question um, is, is it bad enough for me to change? Um, but the question we should be asking is, is it good enough for me to stay the same? And the real question underneath it all is, am I free? So I think quite often people sort of, they say, you know, we have to wait till it's bad enough to change. But for me, that was a real aha moment. This isn't how I want things to, to continue on. So, yeah, for me, that was the moment where I went, yeah, okay, it's time. I really like that. And I think I actually, um, I was editing one of the podcasts uh, today, actually, and I mentioned in there that a life coach that I used to see a few years ago told me about this theory of closer further. I won't go into it too much because I've just talked about it in the one that I'm about to publish. But, yeah, it's like you always think mm. of something, is, is that going to take me closer or further from my goals? And your goals could mm. just be existing. It could just be life. It could be being a mum, a nurse, whatever, it, you know. But is that going to take me closer or further? And I think that's very similar to that quote. I really liked that that mm. quote, both. Yeah, and I think that that's a really sort of important thing for anyone who might be sitting at home and sort of thinking like, oh, you know, I, I might have a problem with the amount that I'm drinking or or smoking or, or whatever your your um the, the thing is that that um that you're using um and you know if you if you if you're not happy with it and if you feel that it's it's impacting your life or it's it's stopping you from doing the things that you want to do then then yeah may, maybe it isn't good enough to stay the same and maybe you know there might be time to to start having a think about you know how you could possibly get things moving in a, in a different direction mm-hmm yeah. So what did you do once you came to this realisation? What was this, the first step for you? Um, so I have a, you know, a pretty good GP, um, but, yeah, the, the, the sort of options that he gave me at the time, there's a medication that you can take that helps to sort of block the, um, the, the pleasure centres and so you don't sort of get that, that pleasure from alcohol. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really sold on that. He gave he um he said well there's there's AA. Um, I live in a fairly small town and I work in healthcare, so there was this really there was this sense of shame for me, and I thought I just I don't feel that I can really put myself out there quite yet. I wasn't at that point, and also for me and look you know I don't, I don't want to bag sort of any um, recovery models because you know there's there's something for everyone but for me um, how I how I saw AA at the time was it was a really real sort of illness 
wellness-based model and I was really after something that was much more of a wellness-based model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't sort of want to um, go, I didn't want to follow that, that at that point in time. So the other option my GP gave me was um, referral to a drug and alcohol counsellor who actually worked in the centre that I worked at. So again, I wasn't super keen on that option. So I ended up getting, um, I'm not sure whether this is a national thing, within New South Wales Health, you can access what's called a mental health care plan through your GP. So it gives you some um, six to 12 subsidised visits to a a psychiatrist or psychologist um, over a 12 month period. So I went down that option and ended up um, uh, linking in with a fantastic psychiatrist. So I went down the psychiatrist option because I thought if if, um, I did need medications described, then they would have the option or the, the ability to do that as well. So I didn't want to sort of be having to deal with multiple practitioners. Um, and yeah, and look, I think that that was a really sort of life-changing decision to go with, with this um, particular um, uh, professional that I went with. She was she was amazing. You know, I, I did end up on some medications for a short amount of time just to help with the anxiety and those compulsive behaviours because they were becoming a bit problematic because I couldn't drive. And yeah, and ended up, you know, she she was fantastic in that she really. Um, just helped to steer me in the right direction to to help with some good self-management and actually finding some really good resources myself. Um, so, and linking into some really good sober communities um, online and, and a particular sober um, group, or sorry, a particular sober practitioner over in the States. So, yeah, so for, for me, you know, it, yeah, so it did take a little bit of work to actually find something that I was comfortable with and, and you know, I think, um, but, you know, I'm really glad with, with the help that I did end up finding. But, I, you know, I, I guess for anyone sitting at home who who might have, um, you know, had a, had a particular experience with one practitioner and they didn't feel comfortable with it, don't stop at that. You know, be a good advocate for yourself and keep looking because there will be the right fit out there for you. But it, it does take a little bit of time to, to to find it sometimes. You know, like with anyone else, hairdressers or anything, you know, you'll find the one. That totally, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's really important mm-hmm. and I know I've spoken about it on the podcast before that, don't give up after the first go. I did that. <laughs> I had my first um, my first session in my mid-20s and it was just horrible. Like mm-hmm. I hated it. And I went, oh, all psychology is like that. I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until, you know, I was in my, my mid to late 30s that I decided to give it a go again and it was one of the best things I ever did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll often mm-hmm. say just yeah. keep trying until you find the right one. And, you know, I stopped seeing that, um, that one because we'd done enough work together. Like you'll always get to that mm-hmm. point, I think mm-hmm. sometimes too, where it's time to move on to, um, to someone else, you know, cause you might've, yeah, absolutely. it must be yeah. really hard. just yeah. touching a bit on like talking about the small town. That must be really hard with things like this, especially when you are in like the health industry as you are, um, mm. you're a nurse, you, and you do come from a kind of remote town in New South Wales. Um, Mm, mm. And I just think like there would be a lot of people out there that probably have the, well, there would be definitely in Australia, we have a lot of small town country towns, 
um, mm. the whole country wide of people would have a lot of this issue too, where maybe they just go, mm. it's all too hard and I'm too embarrassed and it is, mm. um, I'm just going to not worry about it. And then you end up probably going more inward, spiraling more, drinking more to mm. because you're now feeling like a failure or there's going to be yeah. that whole emotion yeah. that goes with it. So, um, you know, I would hope that there's a, a, some people out there, companies that are around that can actually help with that. And I think online is definitely one of those things. Maybe people could try, especially with COVID. Like we, I think we've learned so much from being out like you and I are doing a Zoom call right now, um, you know, being mm-hmm. able to do your telehealth now. found <laughs> to be online AA um, that you could yeah. on and, and, and be a little bit more private now. So, yeah, I think there's yeah. now... Yeah would be a really good time for those people who have probably blocked themselves off from their small communities, um, you know, to reach out and see what they can, they can grab some help now. Mm. You told me when we were having a chat before we started that this Monday is going to be your 1000th mm. day of sobriety. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. That is correct. That's that is correct. like the coolest now, but tell me, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Has there been any slip ups in that thousand days, or is that one thousand? No, there hasn't. Yeah, that's one thousand days. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, um, yeah, well, you know, no slip ups with with alcohol. There are times that I do use social media as a bit of a crutch, and (laughs) that is something that I'm working on. Um, (laughs) and, and, and and my friends sitting out there who receive like the millionth meme from me in a day will go you know she's addressing that but you know but, you know <laughs> as far as things go you know I think sending funny memes is probably not the most harmful behavior that you can engage in so I'm comfortable with not that at all and in now. fact while we're talking about that great yeah. segue to something I wanted to mention unfortunately Kate's um Instagram page is private but if you are one of her friends yeah. or family you would have been very lucky in the last three months to have engaged with um these amazing posts she's been putting on of the international days of the year I have loved it and yeah. I was um <laughs> I was saying to to you earlier, Kate, that, uh, you know, during mm. some of those harder times in COVID, I was having meltdowns and crying for no reason and mm. just hating on life mm. in general. And I would, you know, I would go and actually, I would purposely open up Instagram to go on, you know, have mm. a look at your feed and see what today's international day was. And because some of them have just been mm. so ludicrous, like it's... Yeah, Random, yeah. How did you find out what was what? Like, <laughs> It's, it was such a great idea. What was the whole purpose behind it for you? And how um, you the reason I did it was um, when when the lockdowns came into place in was that well, late March, early April, I guess. Um, we, you know, and the kids the kids were home continually. Like they didn't leave our streets for mm. uh, many, many, many weeks. And I guess for them, I just wanted to get give them this sense that the world was still out there. Um, you know that it wasn't just that little. <laughs> Little five acres that that existed, and, and oh, I think yeah, five acres. Just, you know, it was just <laughs> our little five acres. Yeah. Oh, we we were so lucky, and we were so thankful that we had had that five acres, and that it wasn't. You know, I just I feel for those people who have you know who are in apartments or yeah. um, anyway. I digress. But yeah, so the uh, the the international days. Yeah, it was just a, a bit of a fun way of reminding them that the world was still out there and it was still wondrous and 
there were amazing things happening, even if it was just that we were celebrating ballpoint pens or bobby bobby pins or whatever it was. And and yeah, look, I, I just do it every evening before I go to bed. I just Google the date and International Day and. Um, and I don't put all of them. Some of them are a bit dodgy and oh, I don't really? want to have to explain Run out of to the kids. Um, um, I might have to re with your permission. I might take some screenshots and repost on the um, yeah, on on absolutely. the Instagram when I uh, when this podcast goes out, so that people can have a bit of a reference of what we're talking about. But they're those cool boards that everyone has with the. I mean, they're so mm. old school. We had these when we were kids, didn't we? And um, and now they're kind mm. of making a comeback. Um, but the old felt boards with the the drop-in numbers, but I'm, you are still doing this now. Like we're talking four months later, every day, every night. This must have just become when, the biggest habit for you. For today, in when, case when anyone's we, interested, is Australian Constitution Day. Oh, I did not is, know that, so is. thank you, Kate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. And look, but when the kids went back to school, I, I sort of put to them my intention to stop doing it. And they said, you can't, Mum, you have to keep doing it. So... <laughs> So we, we said, all right, I'll extend to the end of these holidays and then we'll reassess. But I, I suspect that I might be in it until I've done the full uh, 365 days and then I can just start recycling from last year, or from earlier this year, I should say. Yeah. Maybe you could open up a separate Insta that's just the international days and post yeah. those up. I love I it. I could, I could. And, yeah. you know, like, I guess the reason why I'm, I wanted to mention that is because it's a really good tool for people to use as distraction. I know for me, when I'm getting, mm. I have anxiety attacks or um, I'm feeling, you know, that depression's coming on, that I go and try and, um, you know, uh, distract myself with something else. A lot of the time for me, it's binging Netflix, which has become a really bad habit mm -hmm. that I was actually talking with Gareth about tonight, just saying I need to get out of that because I'm thinking of studying um, in a couple of months and I'm not going to have any time for TV. And I never mm. used to watch television, mm. like ever. That's a new mm. thing for me. Mm. But um, I'm like, how do, you, how do I now give up binging Netflix? Like that's my thing that I do. Mm. I stay up till midnight just about every night watching mm. just one more episode. <laughs> it's terrible. Mm. So, um, mm. You know, this mm. kind of addiction thing can be anything from people think that, you know, binge oh, absolutely. oh, it's nothing, you know, it's just TV, like mm. it's not an addiction. It really is though, because mm. I'm choosing it oversleeping mm. and then I'm mm. tired the next day. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, for me, um, in terms of, you know, the, the reasons I was drinking and this, you know, this is something that I sort of really explored in depth with the, the psychiatrist I was seeing. So it was lots, a lot to do with, uh, obviously, to help with the anxiety. Um, you know, my husband works away a lot. So a lot of the time it was um, a bit of loneliness when he was away, just something to, you know, help tide me over because I didn't have him there to, you know, to talk to and bounce ideas off. Um, boredom um, and habit. So for me, it was all about, you know, looking at the reasons I was doing it and then finding something that was like nourishing to put in, in that place. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I sort of built up a little bit of a, you know, in sobriety circles, they talk about it as your sobriety toolkit. Um, so it's all those things that you can, you can do if, you know, if, if you're feeling those feels that would normally have you, you know, reaching for the, the, the wine or the, 
or the whatever your your vice may be. No. So for me, you know, it was things like, um, you know, baths. I think I spent the first six months more in the bath than not. <laughs> um, um, you know, um, what else did I use? Music. You know, I've always been a big fan of music, but, uh, you know, using music to really match my mood and, and then help to, you know, maybe bring me up or bring me down, depending on whether I was feeling anxious or depressed. Um um gardening is a, is another thing you know it's funny I, I always said oh you know I don't have a creative bone in my body until my you know one of my friends pointed out you know kind of you know look at your garden you're you're creative in your garden and what you're doing really is creativity so um uh, what other things doing stupid dancing um <laughs> helps as well on the on, um, on the be kind to my podcast, we can we definitely um, agree with the silly dancing. It's very good. It's the um, mm. the zero fucks movement. I don't know if you found that on Instagram yet, but um, every every Tuesday, people are just dancing and they don't give an f. It's like um, mm. and in Melbourne, actually, before COVID land um people were getting together you know i think it was once a month or once every two months or something they were doing it and uh they basically all just have you know music on and just dance like no one gives a crap basically (laughs) and just to shake it out like you know and i think it it is it's really really good tool to use when you just want to be silly and relax a bit yeah we we have this thing that we do with, with the kids it's, you've heard of the try not to laugh challenge that people do yeah. have you heard of that yeah, yeah. But, but we do the try not to dance challenge <laughs> so you basically um you know we'll be on spotify and you'll have to be putting songs on that you go oh i know they can't resist this one and it, and it normally just deteriorates into absolute you know hysterical laughter because it will you know particularly if the kids can get their dad's you know, he's not a dancer, so if they can get him um, dancing, normal hot tip if anyone's ever making him house of pain jump around. That's his uh, yes, so, that would be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so for me, my um, in my my toolkit as well, um, particularly early on, was um, high intensity interval training as well. Mm-hmm. Was really so. Um, we were in a really great cross community um and um and for me you know i'll never profess to be um you know an elite athlete or anything even close to but it was just that um i think the community was the real the real part that helped me you know as well as the exercise there's a saying i can't remember where it comes from but they say that the you know the opposite or the the opposite of addiction isn't abstinence The, the opposite of addiction is connection uh-huh. Um, so it's having that that connection with other people and and you know whilst you're getting hot and sweaty and feeling like you're going to pass out you know what better time to uh <laughs> to have that camaraderie and to um to connect with people over that and um and you know particularly because I'm actually quite a, I'm actually a very socially awkward person so when you were sort of all there as a group together for a purpose um, I felt very comfortable in that situation chatting to people whereas if I was out at a, at a party and there was someone I, I didn't really know I would find it next to impossible to actually have a conversation with someone. 
social awkwardness you're speaking my language um yeah uh, it's mm. and it's a running theme with my guests on the podcast as well i think but kate you also talked about uh numbers when it comes to sobriety and you talked about the national average drinking or binge drinking numbers in australia and mm. what those actually mm. look like how did you feel when you like researched that and you thought oh i'm like mm you're a lot more or so look in terms of the, the numbers so i think that the safe the, the australian safe drinking guidelines at the moment um i know they were just up for review but they were looking at for women uh no more than one to two standard drinks a day with a minimum of two alcohol free days a week so I think for a majority of people, um, they would certainly be drinking over the safe drinking guidelines. Mm. Um, and I know, I, I know I certainly was. Um, and, uh, you know, much, much higher than that. Um, so, yeah. And look, I think for me, there was this real cognitive dissonance of knowing that what I was doing wasn't wasn't um healthy that i that i knew knowing that it was harmful mm-hmm. but not quite being at that point where i was ready to let it go um you know it was serving me up until a point um yeah so i think um yeah i was in a bit of denial about it I had that cognitive dissonance where it's like yeah i know that's not the right thing to do and yeah i won't have anything to drink today but then on the way home from work finding myself driving in through the drive through <laughs> to get a bottle of wine um but yeah but then like like we were saying before it got to that point where it was like well yeah it's not serving me anymore so mm. time to to do something about it was it really hard yeah. at the beginning when you first started? Was that a really hard few days, weeks, months for you? I think, look, I did, I did a lot of groundwork before I, um, before I got to the point of um, actually stopping. Um, so there are a couple of really good um, books that I read. Uh, can, are you happy if I mention titles? So if anyone um, after them so, so people might have heard of the um, Alan Carr's series of books he did like the easy way to quit smoking mm-hmm. the easy way to stop drinking um, um, look I, I read that uh, many years ago and had you know little periods of success with that but I found it I don't know it was it was quite I don't know male oriented I found it it wasn't uh, quite as relatable okay. uh, and then I came across a, group, a book called I'm just getting the title right here This Naked Mind Control Alcohol by Annie Gray and it's not dissimilar to the style of Al- Alan Carr's books is it, it, what it does it, it talks a lot about um, a lot of these sort of uh, subconscious or in-ground beliefs that we have about alcohol that we're really brought up with from a very young age you know we witness people um, drinking it to celebrate, you know, drinking it to commiserate, drinking it as a coping mechanism, you know. Not not that my parents were big drinkers at all, but they'd always have their, you know, their, their unwinding sherry at the end of the day. So you sort of, you know, just, you know, that, that just becomes part of your, your understanding of, of how we as, as people use alcohol. So this book by Annie Grace, it just helps to unpack a lot of those 
a lot of those beliefs that we have and lay them out there and, and, and you know, it sort of helps you realise that, you know, oh, yeah, probably they're not actually really accurate, these things that I think I believe about alcohol. Um, and then, yeah, it just goes through a series of almost um, mantras and you're just reading it, you know, this quite repetitive text where it's just helping to um, just let go of some of that 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 ingrained knowledge that you had so so that that was really helpful um another tool that i did before i actually hit to hit d-day there's a an online sobriety course called hip sobriety um so it's run by a woman in the states by the name of holly whittaker and um at the time she had like a a, a long course where you you know you sign in I think twice a week but it just wasn't going to work with the time difference in the states so she ran these two short courses self-directed courses and I'll just get the names right here there was one called um, how to quit drinking when you think you can't so the title of that really resonated with me when I saw it and then the other one was how to overcome the urge to drink and how to recover from mistakes and and um and they were like self-directed and, and again, they really just looked at, um, you know, where you, um, where you wanted to be versus what you thought your trajectory might be if you kept doing what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, I sort of waited, um, the kids had gone down to stay with their grandparents for a week and my husband was away for a week. So I really just immersed myself in just being brutally honest with myself and um and yeah I, I think for me that was yeah one of the best things that i did because it really just laid it out there this this is where this is what's going to happen if you keep on this this trajectory um or this is what you could have if you you change your behavior so for me look to be honest you asked whether it was hard to me it wasn't the actual physical not drinking that I struggled with I did uh, like I, I wasn't sort of sitting there looking longingly at the uh, <laughs> at the liquor cabinet you know my, my husband he's not a big drinker at all you know he might have the occasional scotch so we've got a couple of top shelf scotches up there so I wasn't sort of you know <laughs> correcting the bottle or or you know <laughs> anything like that but it was more the thing I struggled with was, you know, feeling all those feels that I'd been using alcohol to suppress. So it was the the rising anxiety around witching hour with the kids. Um, it was the the anxiety going out around social occasions. It was all that sort of stuff. So it was again then coming back to the sobriety toolkit just then saying you know trial and error well what's going to work in this situation you know I'm feeling anxious with the kids all right so what are we going to do I know that I start to feel shit house coming up to about 4 30 in the afternoon so let's put on some music and do some dancing and get some endorphins going or go out for a walk or how about I have a nice shower before I start the the, the dinner bath bed routine so I come into it feeling more relaxed rather than coming into it feeling you know mm. <laughs> um that's a really good one the witching hour thing because um Mm. although i'm not a a mum myself i know i've heard my sister talk about it far too many times to remember and uh i think every mum in the world would understand that language of witching hour it's quite horrendous (laughs) and i can understand why like you know it's that it's kind of that 
that joke and there's probably a thousand memes about it where people go, you know, like, this is why I drink. Yeah. 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 Because of kids or the mess or the, and it's like, it's a coping mechanism. It's totally like Mm. people, the way people use drugs to clear their mind of past abuse or PSTD. Mm. It's the same kind of thing, but you're trying to get rid of the here and now of the, the, crazy children at which you are so what was it I know you just said then that you thought you might have like a shower yourself before you started their bedtime routines but Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. what was the real clincher for you like at that was there ever a time for you going into it where you were trying to make those changes throughout that time the witching hour time and it was just Mm -hmm. too much and you thought oh I've just I have to drink to get through this was it ever that level for you or um no look I think for me um um I think I don't know what it was that eventually made it stick to be honest there was again there's another there's another saying uh sort of in sobriety circles of um never question the decision so I guess I just I I got to that point where I'd made the decision where alcohol wasn't going to be a crutch for me anymore okay and so for me, that that was just it. I just said, that's not even an option. I've taken that off the table. So right. you just have to fucking deal with part of me. I don't even know if I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> and I'm just dropping them everywhere. You just you just have to deal with it, you yeah. know. And um and yeah, look, there were times where I I went and I just screamed into my pillow and screamed and screamed and screamed. But it's like, you know what? that's okay because I'm not going and, and having a drink. 100%. Or there were times where I said to the kids, I'm just going to have to walk up the end of the driveway. You know, we've got like a 400 metre long driveway. So, it's, you know, it's a pretty good walk. Yeah. Um, and so just please don't come near me because I just need 10 minutes to unwind. And, you know, bless them, they you know they I think they could see and that they would they were pretty good to be honest if I said to them look I just it's just one of those times where I just need to walk away for a couple of minutes they were pretty good and I think um I think for me as well you know going back to what we were saying about the perfectionism as well I had to be okay with you know giving them toast to dinner some nights or taking them to the drive-through some nights because I I just didn't think that I could actually get it together to prepare them a lovely, nutritious meal. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, it was just being okay with that. It was like, you know what? If they have Maccas every now and then, it's not going to be the end of the world if they have toast for dinner. Or one of the, one of my big tools was um, it's back to front day, so we're going to have breakfast for breakfast. dinner. So they'd get cereal for dinner and they thought it was fantastic. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, it, it was just... <laughs> Uh, you know, so recognising those times where, it's, you know, you don't have to do everything perfectly. So if what I need to do to get through is just to take a few shortcuts, yeah, then that's fine. I think yeah, that's a really important fine. message to get out there for everyone, though, because a mm. lot of people think, oh, if I do this, people will think less of me or you end up thinking less of yourself or I'm a bad mother. You know, um, it, all of these self-talk um, internal voices that turn on for us when we're just not good enough. Um, and really all that it is, is your own opinion of yourself. It is easier to 
tell yourself that it's okay to do the things that will get you through today than to mm. tell yourself you're a failure, you can't even do this, yeah. you're a bad mother. And there's so many times that I hear from my friends that are mothers, oh, I'm just a terrible mother. I'm like, you're not a terrible mm. mother. A terrible mm. mother does not look like what you're going through right now. You have a hard day yeah. or it's a difficult you yeah. know, week. Um, it doesn't make you a bad person and it doesn't make you a bad mother, which kind of leads yeah, me to... Absolutely kind of leads me to another question for you when it comes to sobriety and your friends and family that are mums mm -hmm. um have you reached out to them is it something that you guys have all spoken about and supported each other whether they've been in the mm. same situation as you or not has there been that kind yeah. of um you know togetherness for you all in this yeah look I, i've been um Really lucky in that um, I've ha I have a really um, small but supportive circle of friends locally. Um, you know, bigger circle. Um, obviously, originally faring from Sydney, mm. um, a, a lot of my friends are still down there, so they weren't necessarily friends that I was still going out and drinking with. But overall, people have been really super supportive. Um, uh, look, one one of my um, uh, things that I really worked on and one of my self-care strategies had been working on really good boundaries with people and really good boundaries with friends and and it really did I have to say oh, uh, how do I put this nicely um, a lot of the ones who weren't real friends really did weed themselves out once I put in good boundaries um, which was you know, I think a really good thing, you know, at the time, you know, it was, it was a bit, um, a bit sad that some of those friendships deteriorated, but in retrospect, um, you know, I, I don't think they were really, um, nourishing friendships. So, yeah, so look, we, um, look, I, I'll, I'll still go out with friends, well, not at the moment, obviously, but, um, I'll still go out with friends, you know, we'll still go out with, you know, we still call it going out for drinks. Um, but, um, you know, we'll go out for tapas or, or teppanyaki or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, they might have a wine or two, you know, living, living in a, a regional area, public transport's not really an option. So most people will just have a drink or two and then, and drive home anyway. So it's not like we're going out, getting on it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I've made, um, some really great friends. Um, online through sobriety circles as well and, and, and you know that's been a really important thing um, you know mutually important you know we're, we're sort of there if, if either one's having a bad day um, you know you're there at the end of the phone or at the end of the, the, the messenger just to be a bit of a sounding board and just to help reframe things so that's, that's been really good as well. Yeah it is important to have people around you that um, will support you it gets so much easier socializing once you do it mm, for a while yeah. it, you don't even care that people are drinking around you um, you kind of yeah, get to not yeah. like it as in it you know like smells weird or um, yeah and you get I find you get to like you know we'll, we'll go out to a, a function or whatever and there's there's definitely a tipping point you'll get it's round about 9 30 where people just start to get a bit they start repeating the same stories and they start slurring their words a bit and you're like, right, that's it, I'm out of here. Yeah. And I go to bed, I wake up early the next morning and I feel good. 
uh, whereas you know um, me of uh, several years ago would would you know wake up the next morning and, and mainline six coffees to feel normal. Oh. <laughs> Tell you what, if I could have, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think the last thing that I'd really love you to chat about is like how much mm. better you felt mentally and also like your health wise as well for you, mm. your work performance, your um, mm. being a mum, like how it was different for your kids as you went through your sobriety. Because I think mm. that can be very scary for some people as well. They're like, things will change for sure, like in all facets of your life? Really good question. Um, And look, yeah, you know, it was was a a gradual thing. It wasn't like, um, you know, I stopped drinking on this date and then, (laughs) you know, everything just gradually, oh, sorry, it suddenly improved from there on in. Mm. Um, You know, like I was saying before, it was, um, you know, you, you stop physically drinking, you know, the alcohol, but, it, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of, um, you know, work, working on, on the reasons that you're drinking and, and um, coming up with new coping mechanisms. But, look, I think overall, um, I actually, uh, at the, the um, probably just before I started drinking, I was still doing shift work and I, I recognised that that was super bad for my mental health. So I actually moved to a position that allowed me to work more regular hours. Mm-hmm. Um, related to work, I guess, as well, I've actually, I'm now oh, a third of the way through my master's. So I've, I've actually had the the brain power and the motivation to mm-hmm. um, do some more studies. So that's been, that's been pretty good. Amazing. Um, although, again, you know, it triggers my perfectionist. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I have to be quite gentle on myself um, in that regard. Um, and look, I, I guess I think for me, it's just you know I've had more energy, I've had more clarity with my with my thoughts. Um, my moods are a lot more stable. Um, I dropped fifteen kilos without really changing any of my other behaviour. So. Um, so that you know that was pretty significant that's a lot for you because you've always been tiny so and small framed even so yeah 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 so that was um that was a a big thing i think uh well i don't know what else um um i can actually read and read books now like whereas before i'd go to bed and i'd read one or two pages and i'd wake up in the morning and i'd have no idea what i read so um, I'm actually reading stuff and, and, and you know, and, and I think, you know, and, and reading to the kids as well. So I think that's, that's had a really positive impact on them. Just more, more energy and tolerance with the kids as well. Um, that's great. You know, certainly my performance at, um, in terms of exercise improved, you know, still, <laughs> still not professing to be any sort of athlete, but... You know, um, I, I I decided to train up and and do a five k fun run, which is big for me because awesome. I'm not a not a runner. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think just overall, just just more energy and motivation and clarity. Um, and more for me, it was I think the biggest thing was when I was still drinking, I'd wake up every morning with just this profound sense of disappointment in myself. and um and this profound sense of oh like just my heart would sink 
uh, every morning when I woke up and I'd make this promise to myself, like, all right, tonight I'll have a break. Um, and I think for me, so it's, it's waking up in the morning without already being pissed off at myself was, was, a, was a big thing. And that that's a really makes a huge difference starting off the day, not, not coming being really disappointed in yourself your, your mental health would have improved a lot for you you would have found oh yeah yeah absolutely for most of my adult life I had been on and off um, medications um, for, for depression and anxiety um, so like I mentioned I had a, sh- a brief period on medication when I when I first saw that psychiatrist um, mm-hmm. almost three years ago and I've had no no medication since I came off those. So that's, I think, been the, the longest period in my adult life without medication on board. So that's been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it was fantastic when I needed it, um, but it's fantastic not to need it as well. It's yeah. good to say so, that because I, I was actually having a conversation with one of my clients today who said that um, she didn't want to go on uh, antidepressants because she'd never come off them and it made I didn't mm. talk to her about this but it made me laugh like internally because I was that person I only started mm. taking them uh this uh at the end of last year and my whole life I was like Ugh, you know who would do that like and yeah and then when you start researching you're like oh if I take if I start taking them I'll never be able to come off them because I'll be dependent on it mm. and it was really kind of sad mm. for me like because I'm um more in a counseling role than a clinical role with my job. So I can't, I couldn't sort of give her advice about medication, but I just thought, oh, I wish I could just say to you, like, just give it a go. Cause it was so life changing for me. And yes, I'm still mm. on them, but I know that there will come a time when I can come off them and it'll be okay. I think it's just mm. with the support mm. you can, you know, mm. really, uh, you need the support on them to help your anxiety mm. and your depression and with the, the right GPs and support around you, you can also come off those as well. So it's good to hear that, you know, you've, you've been able to do that as well. It's nice to hear cases of people that do it because I do think about it sometimes. I think, Oh, is this it for the rest of my life now? But um, yeah. So I like being reminded that it, it is possible. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Kate, when we first started our chat, I asked you, you know, what it was that you really wanted to get out of our chat. And um, you basically said that you, other than celebrating your uh, 1,000 1, days, um, mm-hmm. you wanted to really help other people in the way that you'd been helped. And I love talking about the way that we give back um, because it's exactly what I wanted to do with this podcast, what I hope I am doing. And that is just to give back to people all of the support that both mentally and physically that I had when I was going through some really tough times. So um, what would you like to leave with everyone listening, uh, you know, that may be struggling with their sobriety at the moment? What's, what's your, your message or your tips that you want to leave with them? Uh, I guess my 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 biggest tip would be just to to keep reaching out um, and to to find the support that um, that fits for you. You're not always going to find the the right thing the first time around. Um, for me, a, a thing that I found super super useful was um, actually Instagram and just using the um, sobriety hashtag. Um, just helped and just opened up a whole um, a whole different side of, of, of thinking and and really helped me to find my tribe. 
um, my, my sobriety tribe. And um, yeah, I think for me, that was one of the most useful things. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of resources earlier on, the, the courses and the books, and there's a whole, um, there's a whole stack of, of what's dubbed quit lit. Um, so it's, you know, quit literature. Um, and, you know, there's so much useful stuff out there where people have just been really generous with sharing their own experiences and things that have helped for them. Um, you know, there's been some that I picked up which people raved about and I just didn't find it helpful. And then other things that, you know, I just randomly picked up in the op shop off the shelf you know it was dusty I thought oh I'll take it home it's only 50 cents and 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 it was amazing so yeah just look, look keep looking uh keep reaching out um and you know even if um you know you, you decide or you, you come to the point where you think sobriety is the way you want to go if if you have slip-ups that's okay you know just learn from each one you know look at what triggered you what um what worked what didn't work um and take it from there um linking in with a good health professional uh, mental health professional like we we're saying before if, if if it's not working between you and them you know awesome. don't feel like you're going to hurt their feelings <laughs> go, go and find <laughs> someone that works because you know you're worth it <laughs> I actually, you just reminded me then as well. So you're a nurse currently and you said that you're studying yeah. your master's. You're almost finished mm -hmm. that. Do you I'm have, a third of the way through. Oh, you're a third of the way through. One third. Yeah, I was thinking you only had a third mm -hmm. to go. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have any plans for your, um, your future to perhaps, you know, involve um, some support in a clinical way for, for people with their sobriety? or mental health at all? Oh, look, it, it is it is something I've, I've toyed with. Um, I think at, at the moment, like just from a, um, a work kind of practicality point of view, the position that I am is, is you know, the hours are great, the location's great, and it just works in well with our family life, and I enjoy it. But, um, but yeah, look, certainly down the track, I've sort of toyed with the idea of perhaps going back to uni and doing psychology or, or something and maybe doing a bit more work in sobriety circles, but eh, it's on the to-do list, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's always enough um, Always yeah, and but look, but at the moment, look, I think you know, there's there's certainly a need out there just for for that peer support for people, um, you know, so just just providing that that um, support and sharing my experience and just being there as a sounding board for people. Um, I know in the the role that I work in, I, I work in cardiac rehab and. Um, we've not been able to run groups at the moment and that's, that's the thing that I keep hearing from my, my clients is that I really just want to talk to someone else who's been through this you know um, you know intellectually I can understand what you're saying as a health professional but you know you've never had bypass surgery or you've never had x y or z I'd just love to speak to someone who's actually been through it so I think you know there's certainly a place for that sort of peer support in you know all sorts of circles whether it be sobriety or um, mental health or or, you know, um, mm -hmm. orthopedics or cardiac, whatever it may be. So, you know, I think it's it's a, it's a really um, good thing for, for people to, to put themselves out there. Maybe you could start an online AA. That could be your goal. <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think there's probably a lot more um, learned people out there than me, um, you know, and, and I, I enjoy talking with people one-on-one. So, <laughs> but Like you just said, I mean, and it could be a one-on-one situation too. AA doesn't have to necessarily be a group, but like you just said, there's something in getting advice and stories and listening to people who have been through the thing that you're going through. And that's, again like what this podcast is all about is about talking to people who are going through you know what you're going through um so yeah you never know like you you say that there's probably more you know uh, more suited people to run online (laughs) you know aa meetings but you've been through it you've done it you've been in the trenches you've come out the other side and there is something really really wonderful about sharing your story and supporting people in, in any way that you can. And I, I don't, I don't believe that you need, you know, to have education to be able to give someone, um, you know, just an ear and that's half of what you're doing right now, recording this podcast. You're just literally, you know, being able to, um, share the story of, of what happened to you and how you came through it. And, and, uh, you know, I am very sure that there'll be numerous amounts of people who listen to your podcast when it goes to air. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. take at least one thing, a little, uh, a little thing away from what you've said. So, yeah. And look, I am, I am happy uh, if anyone does want to reach out to me on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy to, to share my handle is uh, Kate underscore does underscore life. Um, I just have it. A private private settings just um you know because I do share the occasional picture with my children on there but if anyone does want to reach out I'm more than happy to to add people and have a chat if if they'd like to cool yeah awesome I'll pop that up in the show notes as well so everyone can jump on and if they want to send you a, a direct message they can Hey, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I've loved our chat. It was really cool to have something, um, a topic that's really different for the listeners. So I'm sure everyone's going to love this, um, a different perspective of mental health and wellness and, and how we can support each other through, you know, the barriers that we have. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Okay, so coming up next, we have Mental Health Moments with Gareth. And on today's episode, I had a quick chat with Gareth about what it was like going into rehab or detox. So coming off the back of Kate's chat, I thought we would just continue uh, with a little bit of, you know, advice, I guess, and just uh, continuing the story with Gareth's experience as well. Hey, darling. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, reasonable. That's good. I wondered if you could talk about the time that you went to um, rehab. Rehab? Yeah, we've been talking about addiction a little bit lately. Okay. Um, And I thought maybe it might be cool to to hear your perspective about what rehab was like for you. Well, what I I actually did was went to detox, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different to rehabilitation. Okay. Um, some people one and the same, but they're really different things. So Mm -hmm. detox is where you have a medically supervised detoxification from whatever substance you might be or might not be abusing. Mm -hmm. I'm not admitting to anything. 
I've had some problems in the past, but they're over now. Nine years and counting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I went to detox twice. I My rehabilitation was in form of social workers, um, medical professionals, psychologists, um, and the NA program. So Narcotics Anonymous, for those who don't know what NA stands for, mm-hmm. um, which is similar to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Um, so it's a group meeting type affair, mm-hmm. um, 12-step program. Um, so that was my part of my rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, my two medically supervised detoxes were fairly painful for me. Um, mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I wasn't in a good state. I wasn't in a good way. It was tough. Um, the following three to six months were hard because my brain wasn't, was no longer capable of creating feel-good endorphins or chemicals because I had mm-hmm. let substances take over that role for too long. Yeah. Um, so that's a danger in in addiction with substances. Then. Oh, it really can be. Like, mm. it depends on the person. It's very much like a... They're talking now that it's pretty much a genetic... You know, how, how you work on a cellular level. Right will determine what damage what drug might or might not do to your brain like how much oxygen can you deprive it of before you start getting unwell or how much serotonin can you release from your receptors before and everyone would be different everyone's different that's right some people can maintain drug habits while having professional careers for 50 years yeah and other people can try drug once and have an instant psychotic effect from it so it really varies greatly. For me, it took many years to become, um, I guess, sick from my using. Um, my substance of choice was pot, cannabis. Um, but obviously I had many years of doing all sorts of other party drugs like ecstasy and cocaine and many, many other things that there's no need to talk about all the specifics, I don't think. Um, I just partied too hard for too long and yeah, after detox, my second attempt at detox was my successful attempt. I stayed. What about alcohol for you? Yeah, look, alcohol made, made small appearances in my life. It wasn't ever a mainstay. Um, I've like, I've had nine years clean off substances and what I would consider to be like street drugs, but I've had drinks in those times. I've had maybe three or four sessions on alcohol mm-hmm. in that nine years and it hasn't ended well for me yeah gotta tell you how how many years has it been now though since you've had no alcohol no alcohol as well we're probably talking three years mm-hmm. so you know there was and and there was also like a couple of lapses yeah i never fully relapsed after i went to detox the second time but i i, I did have a couple of lapses mm-hmm um, and again, they didn't work out well for me. Okay. My brain's just had enough. Like it, it, I went that hard for that long that my brain just said, if you keep doing this, yeah, you're going to end up brain dead was or, that you, or you're going to end up very sick. Was that hard in your thirties to come to grips with that? Cause... With the fact that I'd pretty much pilfered my twenties up the wall. Yeah. But I had a great time. <laughs> I, had, I had a very good, look, it was different for me. I, 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 I was in nightclubs and. Yeah. You know, I, I... Would you do it again, in hindsight? If I had my time again, 
would I go down the same path? That's really hard. I think yes, because otherwise I wouldn't be quite who I am. Mm -hmm. But I also think, oh, it would have been nice to just sidestep all that and avoid it. Mm -hmm. But it was, it's become part of who I am in terms of my story. Yeah. So it's a hard one. That's a hard one. I, I, yeah. I think sidestepping it is definitely the recommended course of action. Um, but would I relive it if I had my time again? Yeah, I'm probably leaning towards probably. But maybe a bit differently. Yeah, not as full on. Yeah. You know, I, I would have I hopefully had the wisdom and hindsight to put the brakes on when I needed to rather than going for two or three days straight, you know. The excitement without yeah. the disaster sort of effect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Really interesting. Yes. Thanks for sharing, Dom. No worries. Alrighty, so that wraps up another episode at the Be Kind to Mind podcast. I really hope you enjoyed today's uh, chat, Kate's story, and also our short chat with Gareth. I wanted to thank you all so much for uh, listening to another episode. I once again want to apologize for these being a little sporadic. Uh, but if you are following along on the Instagram page, uh, you'll know that I have reached out and let you all know a little bit about what's been going on over here in Melbourne at the moment. Nevertheless, thank you for still being here and we will be big. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with a next episode. But for now, if you'd like to be on the show, please email me or go on to the Instagram page and fill out the form in the link guest application. And if you like the show, please give me a five-star rating over on iTunes podcast so that we can spread the word further and tell your friends and family about it as well. The more people who hear our stories, the more quality we can gain. If you are struggling today, I see you. Keep going. Tomorrow is a brand new day. Until next time, friends, take care and don't forget to be kind to your mind.